Stand by for the hook. Welcome to The Hook with Katie Kempner, Vice President of Agency Communications at Crispin Porter and Bogusky, the most awarded advertising agency in the world. Every Tuesday at the intersection of advertising and PR. The Hook, where Katie talks with advertising visionaries, top journalists, cutting-edge creatives, authors, and PR gurus. Hear what these industry insiders have to say about the changing landscape of advertising and PR today. Now, here's your host, Katie Kempner. Hello. Hi, I'm Katie Kempner. Today is Tuesday, January 24th, and you are listening to The Hook, where each week I talk to advertising, branding, and public relations insiders who are both leading and covering the industry. Hopefully, by listening to these thought leaders, you will find inspiration and new ideas that you can use in what you do. So please join me Tuesdays at 2 o'clock at the intersection of advertising and PR for The Hook. Today, I will be talking with Julie Thompson, Executive Vice President and Director of Corporate Affairs for Leo Burnett Worldwide, and to Jeremy Miller, Public Relations Director for TBWA Worldwide. These are two of the best minds in the business, and I am thrilled that they have taken the time to talk with me. So first, a little bit about Julie. Julie Thompson, in her role as Executive Vice President and Director of Corporate Affairs for Leo Burnett Worldwide, serves as Chief Promoter, Protector, and Steward of the Leo Burnett brand. Julie oversees the agency's worldwide profile, both within the advertising industry and the larger business and media communities. This requires her to be in tune with the entire 94-office, six-continent agency network. That's a big shop, Julie. Continually merchandising stories, spokespeople, and shining examples of creative work for Leo Burnett clients who range from Altoids, Disney, McDonald's, and Kellogg's to Visa, Heinz, and Procter & Gamble. A little bit more about Julie and her incredible career. In June 2004, Julie was named to the agency's Global Leadership Forum and the U.S. Board of Directors. In August 2005, she was named to the agency's Global Operating Committee. And in early 2006, Julie was nominated to a second term on Advertising Week's 2006 Board of Directors. Julie joined Leo Burnett in uh, May of 2002, and prior to that, she was Corporate Communications Director for Fallon Worldwide. Uh, She started at... Let's see, she began at Bozell Public Relations, but in between that, she was the communications director for the 1996 Democratic National Convention, and also she had her own firm, Fox & Thompson, which was later purchased by Hill & Knowlton. So she lives in Chicago. She's a Boston College grad, a traveler, and a cultural trend tracker. And supposedly, Julie's the one to call for restaurant recommendations in any city, and Julie not only can get you the recommendation, she can get you the reservation. So now, <laughs> what a nice introduction. I'm impressed. Thank you. <laughs> How was that as an introduction? Wow, way too long, frankly. Well, you know, my I'm getting feedback from the two people I that listen to have listened to every show, which would be my dad and my uncle Joel. But I think that if you TBWA worldwide and is dedicated to magnifying and connecting brand communication to the consciousness of the consumer through compelling and strategic marketing initiatives. Jeremy, did you write that? Yes. That sounds terrific. Can I use it on my resume? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) 
He joined the TVWA Shiat Day in 1997 and has held various positions um, at the network. Right now, in his current role, he's responsible for reputation management strategy for the network, which includes worldwide media relations, issues management, crisis communication, employee communications, and corporate cultural change. Uh, the client list for TBWA includes Apple, Nissan, PlayStation, Visa, Absolute, Adidas, which I think, am I saying that wrong? Adidas. Oh, yeah. Sprint, uh, Pedigree, Starburst, Skittles, Sara Lee, Energizer, and McDonald's. And uh, Jeremy began his career in 1992 with Rogers and & Cohen and Intercontinental Hotels. So when and we a, come back and a little from bit the, on the, our network, we're in 239 offices in 75 countries. Are you kidding me? No. Wow. So I thought what we would do, let's take a little break, and when we come back, we will talk with Julie and Jeremy and learn a little bit about getting noticed. What happens when super affiliates hit the glass ceiling? They develop RevenueGateway.com, the ad network developed by super affiliates for the affiliate marketplace. Tap into the most powerful and intuitive system designed for ROI, exclusive tier one advertisers, highest industry payouts, bonus rewards, and rock sun on time payments. Looking to be creative or need mentoring? There is always someone there for you live 24-7. RevenueGateway.com, the secret to your success. RevenueGateway.com. 3 a.m. traveling to a conference in Oklahoma City. Steve Talbot's Ford Escort radiator hose bursts near the town of Hooker. He types Hooker Escort Hookup into another local search engine's one-box search. He has a great time that he can't expense. TrueLocal.com. Two boxes. One click. Great results. Click Tracks, all new version 6. Prepare to segment your visitors and build custom reports on the fly with the most comprehensive and intuitive web analytics programs on the planet. Stan Noyes, president of Zephoria.com, writes, Click Tracks is like a religion to us. We rarely consult our clients on site or campaign changes without first seeing what Click Tracks reveals. Sign up for your free trial today. Your only risk, you may end up in our next commercial. ClickTracks.com, turning your future into a fortune. Katie Here's your host, Katie Kempner. 
Hello, welcome back. Today we are talking with Julie Thompson, Executive Vice President and Director of Corporate Affairs for Leo Burnett Worldwide, and Jeremy Miller, Public Relations Director for TBWA Worldwide. Hello, Julie. Hi, Katie. Hi, Hello, Jeremy. Jeremy. How are you? Hi, Katie and Julie. <laughs> okay, this is my first internet uh, radio menage a trois, so I'm not sure how to begin. I think uh, I think ladies first is always the right way to go under pretty much any circumstances. So, Julie, we'll start with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your main responsibilities and what a typical day looks like? Um, I always say I have the best job in the agency because I literally have to have the, the proverbial finger on the pulse of what's going on at the agency, whether it's in the creative department, account management, broadcast production, et cetera, legal. We need to know what's going on. And I tend to wear a funny, a funny mix of hats ranging from brand management, crisis management, event planning, uh, and basic PR and media relations so that at any given time of the day, I'm on the phone with a reporter trying to track someone down for an interview. I'm scheduling an event in Dubai, for instance, which I'm actually working on right now, uh, we have uh, a cool program in our agency called Musical Artists in Residence, and this afternoon, Jewel's coming in half an hour, so I'm helping wow. organize that. So it, it varies from media to events to strategic planning. It's all about forwarding the reputation of the agency and managing the image of the agency. Mm-hmm. In- internally as well or just externally? Uh, internally as well. We have uh, about 2,000 employees in the Chicago headquarters alone, so we have quite a, a constituent base there, and then we have about 8,000 employees worldwide. So uh, we've, we always talk first to our employees. We find them our, our most important audience. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, yeah. that doesn't sound like a typical day at all. <laughs> no, it's never boring, and you never know what's, what's ahead the minute you walk in the office. All bets are off, so it's, it's always exciting. <laughs> what about you, Jeremy? What sort of your main responsibilities and what your day would look like? Um, well, you know, as Julie says, um, you know, we probably do have the best jobs in, in advertising. One, because the majority of our time is spent dealing with the product of what we produce, which is the work and the creative, um, and the end product and having that touch culture and everything is exciting. Um, but in terms of a typical day, there never is one. Um, unfortunately, um, when you're doing a global job, you're day never really starts and ends. Um, I get home at, you know, 7.38, and I'm on email on the phone to Asia, you know, at 11 o'clock at night, and then in the office, in the, you know, at home early in the morning at 6, dealing with Europe, um, before I even start doing anything in North America. So it's, it's, it's a juggling act in prioritizing uh, what's important. Um, and for us, we put the work and the clients as a priority, mm-hmm. um, you know, because we realize our best success and reputation comes from the client success. So mm-hmm. in terms of the focus, that's where the majority of my time is spent. It's, you know, guiding clients on how best to deal with the product we produce for them. Um, and then everything else obviously falls in line, whether it's crisis communications, announcements, uh, speaking engagements, events, all of that falls under it. But the, the primary responsibility is working with our clients and the product we produce for them. Well, I thought we could focus a little bit on, on getting stories placed and reputation management because I think that's something that you guys are, you know, the best in the business, and I'm actually hoping to get a few tips. So uh, I think that everybody who's listening can get tips from you guys, and your agencies are so different in a lot of ways that um, maybe you could let us know. Jeremy, what is, like, I don't know, 
what about one of the coolest campaigns or things your agency has done recently and how you were able to promote it? Well, I mean, some of the stuff that we've done for um, Adidas on a global basis um, has definitely um, been sort of a unique challenge and opportunity to work with. Um, and the work coming out of um, Asia Pacific in particular, both Japan and Australia. Um, in Japan, we did um, something we call the Sky Soccer Billboard, um, where we had two people um, hanging off the side of a building playing football. I won't call it soccer, football, um, on the side of a building. Um, and we worked with the client and actually the agency took the lead to prepackage the work and to distribute via a VNR globally um, and get picked up on that. Um, those are the exciting opportunities. Um, and then Australia, we did something called Match Ball, which was a giant um, soccer ball, um, which we had tethered to two steel towers um, to get ready for World Cup and um, basically put people inside and basically launch them up into the sky while they're in the, the ball. And then we recorded the um, expressions of the people and would play that on um, screens next to the events. Everybody could watch the reaction from the people inside. So both those, you know, wow. in terms of a unique media opportunities and sort of touching pop culture and getting global connections were the most recent examples of something that was just, that took off in and of itself. Now, are you involved in, in planning, in actually planning those events, or are you more involved in, in you know, promoting it to the media as it's Well, happening? what's, um, for TBWA, we have in place something we call a global public relations ring, um, and this group gets mm -hmm. together via the phone um, once a week and discusses all the major activity that's going on within the network and how to capitalize it on behalf of our clients and for the agency. Um, so when things are happening, there's a brainstorm, and every client's different. Some clients like more involvement. Some do everything on their own. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, the PR ring is responsible for, in their own markets, taking the work that we produce and generating it back out to the media. So by default, we sort of serve as a global communications arm for every office um, to have their work suddenly seen on a global stage, mm -hmm. um, which not only benefits the agency, it benefits the clients as well. Wow, that's great. What about you, Julie? What's one of the coolest things your agency has done, and how did you guys, you know, get some press on it? Well, one thing we just did that we're quite proud of is um, in London for the Department of Transport, they were, they were trying to teach teenagers about road safety, and we came up with a pretty novel approach uh, the Leo Burnett Agency in London handpicked a dozen or so teenagers, divided them into groups of three and four, and handed them a cell phone and said, just capture yourselves hanging out, doing what you do on the street, etc. They weren't told what the ad was for. They weren't given a script. And the kids actually filmed themselves hanging out, basically. And we then spliced footage from the camera phones with our own film of a stuntman being hit by a car and edited the footage together and before we aired it on television we put the, the clip up on websites that were popular with kids and without any label or indication that the crash the showing the stuntman wasn't real so it featured it looked like these kids who were filming each other and not paying attention to the car approaching them uh, you know featured this footage and it, ended with this great shock of one of the kids being hit, and it generated huge publicity all over the U.K. The clip was downloaded from all these various spots something like 200,000 times a week and has now been winning all these awards. And, um, but in the end, it has helped improve uh, road safety amongst teenagers. So it worked. And that we're, we're not only interested in creativity, not just for creativity's sake, but in results. And as mm -hmm. long as the, the work can work for the client, that's our, our biggest uh, 
uh, goal. So we're proud of that work, um, and we're proud of how we delivered it to consumers in a surprising way. That, that's, that sounds like a great way. I mean, the way that you guys were using the Internet. And I think maybe I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit ab- about how to use the Internet because I think it's, it's still a confusing place, even for those people that profess to know a lot about it. I mean, when I started, you know, you really didn't have to worry about – it wasn't a part of it. You didn't have to worry about things like blogs or Internet publications um, which is a wonderful and a terrifying thing all at the same time. Um, Julie, what do you think is – what do you see as the best use in terms of branding and PR of the Internet? For looking well, at it from the a Internet PR can be an incredible tool for getting the word out um, for a various product or a service. It can also um, engage consumers for the long haul. Um, you know, I, I happened to work at Fallon when we launched BMW Films online, and it was the – it was the first time we sort of turned the tables and said, come to us for this amazing content where we show the performance of the car, the BMW uh, series of cars. But um, it was the first time we were, in a way, inviting, instead of asking the consumer for permission into their living room via the television set, we were saying, we're going to earn your attention and we're going to engage you on this Internet site. And... Um, the interesting way in which we launched that, it mm-hmm. was sort of a never-before-done thing in the ad industry where normally whenever we have a new campaign or new work breaking, everyone's salivating about getting into ad age or ad week. And we said, gee, why don't we, why don't we not go to the ad trades first? Why don't we not publicize it in, as a marketing and advertising campaign? Let's launch it as an entertainment vehicle. And we mm-hmm. did that. We actually... W- um, launched it in the Hollywood Press as an art and entertainment project, and that's why it succeeded. So um, I think everyone has to look at the Internet as a tool, and if you have the right, the right content and the right product, uh, it can be used in really innovative ways. Do you agree, Jeremy? Um, absolutely, and it's, you know, it's evolving quickly. Um, You're not supposed <laughs> to agree. Remember, we need some controversy. <laughs> Um, I mean, and one of the things that, you know, and it's the audience that's using that content. I mean, you're asking consumers to opt into your content, and whatever you put up there mm-hmm. better be very, very good in terms of um, entertainment value, in terms of content, um, because with the click of the button, they're gone. So if you want to engage, not only do you have to excite, but you have to bring them something that they wouldn't get anywhere else, That's you know, first off. And then you, mm-hmm. you got into blogs and comments. You know, one of the new experiences that we have is obviously consumer journalism um, and something that the agency and clients, you know, are just getting their arms around is this sort of instantaneous consumer response to work. Exactly. Um, and ha- helping clients in the agency, for that matter, learn how to react to blogs. Um, blogs in of themselves, you know, it's better not to try to interact or be fake because the people on the blogs will know if you're doing something that's not real. But, you know, knowing when to comment on opt-in versus just let the blog be what it is and let people have their conversations. The trick is, obviously, and what we've been experiencing a lot as an agency, is sort of the prepackaged story for journalists um, when they start picking up blog content. If they're looking for controversy, they're going to find it on a blog. Um, And this instantaneous reaction for the story to go mainstream with prepackaged consumer input um, and how to manage that in a a good way, especially when you're dealing with something that's national, like advertising, that every consumer can see and react to, um, it's easy fodder for journalists, and it's, it's definitely becoming a challenge in how and when and what's appropriate in terms of reaction. 
um, whether, you know, it's a spot that, you know, people are reacting to, do you poll, whether they found a nugget of controversy and they're all over it. Um, and it happens, and it happens in a heartbeat. There is no more time to plan an attack. It's there, it's in front of you, the phone's ringing. Um, and it's definitely sort of the new challenge that sort of I've been facing a lot recently. Yeah. In terms uh, of like, helping clients manage and helping the agency manage, we we live in this world of instant news, but now we live in this world also of instant critic, and these yeah. critics are not guided by any journalistic ethics. So, you know, bloggers are real opinion makers, and we have to pay attention. But you pay, so you pay attention to these, you know, you pay attention to these to these blogs. But, I mean, is there, is there any way to control the message on blogs? I mean, you, you can't because the instant you start doing that, you, 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 you can't control it in the mm-hmm. blog itself. I think that's a dangerous place to go because the blog itself is letting the consumers do what they do best and react yeah. to the content. In and of itself, good and bad is fine on the blog. The trick is when you're seeing, you know, the reason to watch it is when you're seeing something that's going to cross over and hit the mainstream press i.e., you know, if CNN's going to pick up on it, or which we've dealt with the New York Post. Once the story does that, it, it, the, the fire increases, mm-hmm. um, and knowing how to react and what to react to is the trick. Um, you, you, you like the blogs, because it's instantaneous consumer reaction, and if you're doing advertising and powerful enough for one to consumers to react on a blog, it's fine for them to get off the fence and not like it or like it. You know, you can't argue with that. But when mainstream press inherently takes something and wants to be controversial, you're, you're sort of in a bind because at that point you're reacting to the negative part of the story versus the positive and throwing things out there that they necessarily can't or don't want to have. Sensationalism sells. We know that. So suddenly, you know, they have 20 consumer responses dishing a spot versus any of the positive stuff that's coming. They don't want yeah. to write about that. But so now what about any policy? You guys have internal is, policies is about if, the, if your people can comment, you know, as a representative of your company on, on blogs or not? Well, it's hard because we don't, I don't want my, my team representing the client. That's not what we do. Right. We're, you know, for, for, you know, we're either partners or vendors of our clients. Um, and to have them suddenly jumping into controversy creates more of a story sometimes than it needs to be. Um, and obviously that's a dangerous place to be as well. Um, it needs to be in conjunction with client. Sometimes there's factual inaccuracies that happen. Absolutely. And then um, what? And if, it, and then if it's a press blog, which is different, Business Week's blog or Adweek's blog has something that's inaccurate, yeah. yeah, then correcting it and making sure it's accurate is fine. But, but if it's just a consumer-generated blog on a site, getting into interaction, it, yeah. you, know, they've, you know, it's a no-win battle. That's what, do what they think, want Julie? you to do. Is it, do, do you guys have any, um, any policies on that? About oh. our so, well, we have standing policies when the agency about who can talk and not talk, and blogs fall into that. Um, we do too. We have to. Um, just, Jeremy, you know, the, let Julie talk. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we also have you know a, a whole communications policy for the agency that people follow. But you know we we're in a creative industry where half of our creatives have their portfolios online. We you know we are influencers. We are trend makers in this business. So we, we fully expect that our people are going to have something to say. It's just they should have that disclaimer in there that they're not representing a client and they're not necessarily representing the views and beliefs of the Leo Burnett company. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's where we, you know, uh, exert a bit of uh, control there. But in terms of trying to influence or control the message out there on blogs, you can only hope to steer the dialogue, in my opinion, um, and, and even so, 
uh, it's, it's such new uncharted territory for most of us. We're still in the experimental phases. I mean, Nokia just launched their newest phone, and they, they sent it to 12 bloggers first. It was par a legitimate part of their marketing mix to introduce their product to the world. And so to see the kind of importance uh, that these blogs have now have is really, is really important. We yeah. live in this total age of transparency and, and, uh, and instant, as, as Jeremy said, instantaneous consumer reaction. Yeah. And that makes it really exciting, but also kind of dangerous. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Jeremy, are there any blogs that you look at every day? Um, there's a ton. Um, you know, obviously, I look at the press blogs. I look at the Business Week blogs. Um, and then all the emails that I get from all our creative directors about the comments on our work wanting me to react to it. Um, so it's a mix. Um, and the other challenge, which is, you know, the one thing that's great about blogs, which is started a whole new trend, and, and Julie touched on it, is this word-of-mouth marketing that's happening. Yeah. Um, and, you know, agencies, you know, and I think agencies, especially advertising agencies, need to see that as a benefit to the advertising in and of itself. Letting consumers have something to themselves and letting them run with it and discuss, um, it's a great thing. Obviously, you have to have a product that can live up to being dealt with. You, you know, you better know what you're getting into before you start. Yeah. Because as fast as it can build your product and give it momentum, it can kill it, too. It's a scary um, thing. I mean, it's a scary thing. Not, I mean, what do you think, Julie, about the word of, word of mouth? You think you just got to let, let people run with it, right? I mean, what can you do at this point? Yeah, I mean, there are different schools of thought. Do you engage a whole viral agency to get, or a buzz, you know, one of those buzz marketing agencies to, to get the word out? I don't know, to combat a negative situation? Uh, um, you know, it, it depends. We had a situation in Asia where there one complaint by a consumer on a blog led to a whole product recall. Deserve it or not, it, it happened. And it, uh, it's, it's amazing the, um, the influence these new outlets have. Um, but I think we can only hope to steer the dialogue. And at the end of the day, you know, you hope you have a good product. You hope you have good creative that people like and that is going to move product and move sales for your client. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's see. I wanted to also ask you just really quickly about um, about Internet publication. So let's take a, a very quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about um, – Different, different methods of releasing information on the Internet. PR Web is the pioneer in online press release visibility. Think beyond search. Online visibility is what really matters. PR Web's exclusive online visibility engine delivers your message to your customers and major media outlets. Get the credibility and attention you deserve. Think online visibility from PR Web. PR Web, the only major newswire service that drives quality, measurable traffic to your site. PR Web is the pioneer in online press release visibility. Think beyond search. Online visibility is what really matters. PR Web's exclusive online visibility engine delivers your message to your customers and major media outlets. Get the credibility and attention you deserve. Think online visibility from PR Web. PR Web, the only major newswire service that drives quality, measurable traffic to your site. It's all about links. 
baby. Content is king, but links are what you need to get you those all-important organic search listings. Float to the top of your keyword listings within the major portals while driving targeted traffic to your website at the same time. Work with a company with a proven track record for delivering results for thousands of individual website owners and major Fortune 500 companies. TextLinkAds.com is your source for securing relevant links. Baby, TextLinkAds.com. Like the idea of gambling and winning with someone else's money? How about cashing in with the house? Sign up today with PartyPoker.com, the world's largest poker room and poker affiliate program. Cash in on one of the most lucrative and fastest growing industries for webmasters. There's $10 million paid out to webmasters every month. The world is your oyster and every hand is a winner. Wouldn't you like a slice of that pie? PartyPoker.com. Betting on the house makes you a winner every time. Contact Alex L at PartyGaming.com for a great deal. PartyPoker.com. How do you choose the right affiliate program to partner with? All we're trying to do is make the most money in the least amount of time. The answer is simple. JoeBucks.com, the world's leading herbal affiliate program. JoeBucks.com is the direct manufacturer, so there's no middleman. This will allow you to make up to 50%, the highest payouts on the net, and also get paid twice a month. Sign up today and watch your income grow. Commercials off. Stand by for the hook. Now here's your host. Hello, welcome back. Today we're talking with Julie Thompson, Executive Vice President and Director of Corporate Affairs for Leo Burnett Worldwide, and to Jeremy Miller, Public Relations Director for TBWA Worldwide. Hello, peeps. Hi, Kate. Hello. Hi, Jeremy. So I wanted to talk a little bit. We've been talking about the Internet, and I wanted to just talk a little bit about, you know, Internet. I, I guess I don't even know if I'm calling them the right thing. I'm saying publications, um, but, you know, Internet sites that people go to for news. Do you guys, and I'll ask Julie first, do you spend a lot of time um, get, trying to get news up on them the way you would, you know, Ad Age or Ad Week or something in print? Well, it's funny. Um you know, we live in this highly wireless <laughs> digital world, yet I think people still like to see articles in print. They still like to see broadcast coverage on the big screen. Um, and the Internet is certainly in our mix when we release news, but, but it's probably down there on the list below a broadcast, you know, television news story or a print story. Mm-hmm. What, if, what about you, Jeremy? What about Atito? Well, actually, it's, it's a different challenge for us. Um, a lot of um, the folks, you know, in terms of senior, senior management on both sides still live in the world, and broadcast is, was a completely different animal. But from a print perspective, like to see things in print. They like to hold the magazine and see it in yeah. there. Um, but in reality, the influence of what happens online is more powerful for getting messages out in terms of responsive now than the printed word. One, because it's out there immediately. And I'll use you know a good example. We just launched a new Absolute campaign, um, mm-hmm. and we worked with USA Today on an exclusive. Um, and we got a great piece in USA Today. But that piece also runs online. And then in part of in part of doing that piece, the reporter was able to expand and do a whole trivia thing with the ads online, do examples of past advertising that viewers could get into. So there's a lot more opt-in opportunity. Um, and one of the things that we're seeing is because space is at such a 
premium now within newspapers and magazines. You're, you can get sometimes a much better, bigger story online. Um, the trick is obviously, you know, I think there's a generation gap. I think younger consumers are more willing to engage in terms of reading a story online or printing it out and reading it that way mm-hmm. than our older consumers. Older consumers are still comfortable with how their, their news is delivered. So it has to be a balance of both. And literally every publication is, you know, has a, a mix of both, Business Week, Newsweek, Time, um, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. All of them have stuff that they post online. Um, and it gets viewed and gets seen and gets used, not only by consumers, but by other media who are then calling to generate further stories. So it's finding that balance, but also helping to everyone to understand that both are equally important now. And I think that's the shift that's happening, um, that you can have a great of a, a launch online versus as something in print. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. So let's change gears a little bit just because, you know, I've been getting all these calls. I know you guys all get these calls. It's Super Bowl time, and everyone who is never even interested in spots is always fascinated by Super Bowl spots. Uh, you guys have any spots on the Super Bowl? Yes. Well, we love the Super Bowl because it's one of the few times, at least in the, in the States, when advertising is celebrated and when people talk about advertising. I mean, in the U.K., for example, there are television shows dedicated to critiquing advertising. So ads seem to be much more um, in, the, in the dialogue and in the vernacular, in, at least in the U.K. So in the States, we crave any opportunity for people to stand around the water cooler and actually talk about a spot they saw. So we love the Super Bowl. Um, Cadillac is our, is our main client in the Super Bowl this year. They're the, they're the official vehicle, and they're using the game to launch the first television spot for their new 2007 Escalade. So it's going to be exciting. It's going to be really cool. Oh, that's cl- that's going to be it's going to be fun. I always love the Super Bowl because it's true. Then then all these people that are not really that interested in what I do are interested. What about you, Jeremy? You guys have any big um, spots in the Super have, Bowl this um, year? Our sprint clients um, in the game this year, um, and they have two spots, and they're also doing the halftime show. Um, oh, really? Obviously, you know, we've had a long running history with Super Bowl, and um, every year it starts up. You know, I get the calls about Apple 1984. Um, it's you know obviously pointed to one of those spots that showcase you know the change in Super Bowl ads as a tune-in opportunity. Um, so every year, you know, I, you know, we do probably 15 to 20 interviews just on Apple 1984, a spot from 21 years ago. Um, it still has as much influence on the game today as it did back then. Um, and then obviously every publication, you know, under the sun broadcast outlet will do some kind of Super Bowl story in one way or another. So it is its own unique frenzy. Um, and then this year, coupled on top of that, we have the Winter Olympics right after Super Bowl. So which, you know, for two weeks is also another huge advertising opportunity and um, since we have a lot of clients going to be in that, um, there's just been a sort of a back and forth story about Super Bowl versus Olympics. What's better? Why would you go in one versus the other? So it's been a sort of a unique year for um, us in particular in terms of balancing both. Why yeah, do you I think, think it so is? We brought up 1984. Why do you think it is that that spot to this day has received so much attention? Um, I, because it, you know, in Super Bowl, you know, it used to always be product in your face. 
you know, it always had to tie back in. You, you never see the, the actual computer in the spot, but, you know, at that time, you know, a lot of production value was put into it, and it sort of changed the spectrum that spots could inform as well as entertain, and on the game, mm-hmm. that changed, you know, how consumers could react to the, the spots. I mean, I, it's funny because I have old clips, and this is before my time at the agency, um, and apparently the game wasn't that exciting of a game, and the newscast that I have, but the most exciting thing that came out of the game was the Apple 1984 spot. Um, and at that time, you know, it changed how big production spots were used and done. And it was a quintess, sort of one of those quintessential moments in advertising. Yeah, that's absolutely Yeah, we have true. you to thank, actually, for making Super Bowl uh, an advertising <laughs> centerpiece. It's true. That's right. So I I think it would be remiss of me, since I have such um, great PR minds here, if I just didn't go into a little bit of, you know, a little bit of advice. And also, I I just want to hear some stuff that I can blackmail you later with. So, Julie, (laughs) what is the craziest thing that you can say? Although I understand that there's no, like, regulations on the Internet. But anyway, what's the craziest thing you ever did to try to get a story placed? Uh, oh, boy. FCC listening? No. Jeremy, should I be asking Julie this question? <laughs> it's fine. I mean, mine would probably become before I got into doing advertising um, PR within an advertising agency, but um, we'll, we'll wait for Julie to answer, then I'll jump in. Let's hear you, Julie. Tell us, and then we have to hear Jeremy, too. See if you can top that. Uh, a bagpipe serenade to launch a new Scotch whiskey? I don't know. Um... Let's see. The, the best the best times I've had doing PR in this business is when I've worked really closely with clients and we've come up with some goofy things together and that have gotten attention. But, you know, they always say ads are what you pay for and PR is what you pray for. I mean, we all have to be way more creative uh, in, in getting that attention. So, uh, you know, there, we all have, we all have uh, war stories of, uh, funny times when we've gotten attention, but I think for me it was the bagpipers and trying to get a bunch of bagpipers in an elevator to a newsroom and get them back out without us getting shot. <laughs> did people, can you give us more information on that? I mean, did people like, did that go over well or not well? <laughs> well, we didn't realize how loud the bagpipes would be when played indoors, so uh, <laughs> we were escorted out quickly, but it worked. They all came to the press conference, so, you know. <laughs> I remember when I first started, it must have been like a couple months into my job, when we were a much smaller agency and we decided to go after this beer account and a consultant was doing it. And so so Alex Bogusky and Chuck Porter, they thought, you know, it would be maybe what we should do is we should send this consultant because we couldn't get any attention from him. We should send him a urinal, you know, <laughs> like beer, urinal. Anyway, I, I, I found the urinal and I sent it and it was a very logistically difficult to figure out. And I remember getting this call from this guy, the consultant, being like, you send someone over right now to pick this thing up. And it didn't really go over so well. I don't know if that was the craziest, but that was going to be my story about what's a, what was a huge mistake. But first, I want to hear, Jeremy, what was your craziest? Well, I mean, in my pre-advertising agency life, um, I used to work for a small PR and event agency in Beverly Hills. Um, and 
doing events from everything from Tiffany to the city of Beverly Hills to Kenneth Cole. But one of the clients of the agency at the time was Nikki Haskell. And um, I don't know if you've ever heard of a product that she had called Star Caps. They were diet pills. No. Um, that basically just made you pee a lot. Um, <laughs> but she wanted to launch on, um, do a big launch on Sunset Boulevard. So, you know, I had to get broadcast crews to come out to the Star Cap launch. And, you know, and it was sort of the B-list celebrity event of all times. Um, and we launched, you know, like 5,000 Star Cap Chase balloons, that, you know, that were sort of uh, penis-shaped floating around <laughs> on Sunset Boulevard and trying to get, convince press to uh, cover that was sort of those, one of those unique moments in PR history that I'd like to forget. I sort of learned at that point that celebrity PR probably wasn't my uh, best <laughs> suited avenue for a, a career in, uh, in public relations, but sort of a unique time. And then from an advertising perspective, one of the, in terms of a launching a campaign was probably for Levi's. Um, we were coming back um, and we did a campaign called War Them. Um, and it was leading up to their 125th anniversary. And the thought was, you know, we were trying to, you know, regenerate interest back in the brand and reconnect not only the media but consumers. But for the press, we did something unique in terms of the Levi's. Um, we did personalized T-shirts as part of the War of Them campaign. So basically we put all the key journalists' name on the T-shirt because at one point or another we suspect most of them had worn Levi's in their lives. Mm-hmm. So it, it brought an instantaneous sort of personal connection. Um, and to this day, um, you know, you know how hard it is to launch campaigns now, especially trying to get all the, the outlets to cover it. It's probably one of the only times I've had almost every major outlet cover the campaign extensively at one time. Um, you know, no exclusives. Everybody wrote about it, which was sort of a fantastic moment. Yeah, that that almost never happens. Not nowadays, no. Now, I want to ask you a little bit about building relationships with journalists, both of you. I mean, you know, you guys have been in the business for a long time, and you know everybody that you need to know. But to me, it always seems interesting because... Of course, it's different for each thing, but there are there are a core group of journalists that are important for for you to know, and for people in whatever business you're in. There's always a core group of journalists that sort of cover that industry. And you know, how important is it now with so much competition for news and so many ways, um, so many people trying to get in front of journalists? How important is it to to have a good relationship with journalists, Julie? <laughs> it's so important. Um, I don't know if you saw Scott Donatin's uh, editorial in Ad Age about Christmas cards and how he was inundated with all these Christmas cards from agencies and companies he didn't know and, you know, little notes written uh, from people he didn't know, sincerest best wishes for your holiday season and, you know, all this stuff. And he found it so, so insincere. And um, his point was... Uh, was all about this very topic, how how important these relationships are and how you do have to build them over time. And sometimes it's that that random lunch where you're ta- you end up talking about anything but the advertising business and you you forge a relationship for life. And um, I've, I've been in this business for probably well, almost eight or nine years uh, promoting agencies, and the, the advertising trade press is a, is a particular one um, it's one of the toughest vertical trade presses, I think, out there. And these reporters are, are highly influential, and you do have to have relationships. So it's really important. And, um, you know, some agencies view the trade press as a necessary evil, but they're not, you know. And, they, and you do need to um, cultivate relationships over time. You can't waste their time. You have to be honest. You have to be trustworthy. You have to be willing at any time of day to get that 
executive they need on the phone for that interview, um, and you just you have to be honest and you have to be reliable. Is that Jeremy? Do you agree? Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the first thing I think about, especially with dealing with the trades, is a mutual respect um, because you know the journalists are not your friends, even though I have very close relationships with them on yeah. personal levels. I you know I would consider some of them my friends, but business is business. And, you know, it needs to be dealt with in that way. Um, so that's, that's part of it. The other part is, you know, knowing the reporters and what they do. For instance, you know, Scott is not out covering the business every single day. So wasting his time with pitches isn't the appropriate thing. Knowing who at AdAge is covering that sector or your agency or that business is, you know, and developing the relationship with them. Um, having your reporter work for you and giving your reporter the opportunities and the inside knowledge and the access not only makes Scott's life easier, it builds your relationship with the trades that much more because you're helping to make that reporter's life easier and have their ability to do the job. And for them, it's about relationships and access as well. So understanding that with the trades, it's very important. And also, you know, reading the publications before you pitch those journalists. Know what yeah, they write about. Don't waste their time. Don't send them material they're never going to write about. Um, you know, it's it's all the basics, but, you know, a lot of the times the, the stories I hear from some of the journalists about what they're pitched on and what they're trying to, to sell on, absolutely, you know, it, it, it still surprises me. It yeah. absolutely surprises me. I agree. And have some news. Have some real news. And, yeah, the, pitching the wrong person at the wrong publication on the wrong beat happens all too often. I know. I, I know. I'm always surprised by when I hear that from a journalist that I know, that somebody, you know, gets in touch with them about something that doesn't make any sense. I mean, geez, you know, do your homework. So okay. let me ask you both this question then. Um, we talked, we've talked about a couple of things, about blogs, about the Internet, about different – what do you think right now are the big, is the biggest challenge or the biggest challenges somebody, you know, a PR person faces right now? Jeremy? Um, I think probably the biggest challenge is, um, in in our industry, the challenge, obviously, you know, we work for the advertising agency, and a lot of times our relationships, we're sort of the middle people on on the client side between their marketing folks and their PR folks, and it's Mm -hmm. the balancing act between it. Um, The marketing folks want their marketing leverage. They're spending, in some cases, hundreds of million dollars on doing a communications plan, and the PR folks are out establishing their own sort of plan, and it's bridging that gap and making sure that when you're doing a communications plan that all sides are connected and that there's an effective way to utilize that and it's built well. Um, You know, as, you know, campaigns evolve and media gets more and more, you know, influential in terms of where you're doing your placement, having the ability to do the consumer part of it on our end and make those connections in unexpected ways is going to be the bigger priority in terms of how we bring campaigns to life, not just the fact that we're launching a campaign, but really bringing it in terms of a, to a real connection with consumers. Um, and in terms of prioritizing, making those connections and making those opportunities come to life is a little bit where I'm trying to spend more of my time. Yeah, those are excellent points. Julie, what do you think? Any specific challenges that person in our position faces right now? Well, part of it is what we talked about earlier, how, you know, everyone's a critic. We're all under intense scrutiny. There are no more passive audiences anymore. Um, and to be a corporate communications person for an ad agency right now is, is a, a, t- a tough gig. It's a real juggling act. Um, you have many constituents ranging from the press to your internal agency management, your clients, uh, the and press meaning trade press and the consumer press and the consumer community at large. Um, you know, one of my my big things is you have to you have to earn a seat at the table and then you have to 
have management's ear to be really effective in this business. And so many of our, I think, luckily we're living in a time right now where PR um, is sort of in the sweet spot of marketing right now. It's sort of the golden age of PR, which is great. I mean, I remember when I first started in the business, I started at a a PR agency, and I remember um, begging to be in meetings with the ad agency um, and, and having PR definitely relegated to, you know, the last thing on their list to promote their new product or their new service or whatever they were doing. And now PR is front and center, and... Uh, it's not about just the television spot anymore, and so I think we're in a, we're in a good place. And but you have to you sort of have to earn um, the respect of your constituents and keep it and and be on top of these new trends and know how to adapt and you know uh, learn from people like Jeremy who talks about you know the new ways of bringing campaigns to life, bringing your agency to life uh, for the larger public. I mean I think it's um, we all have to remain students all the time. Yeah. I want to ask you, because I've been asking at the end, as you know, both of you guys are really, you, you have terrific jobs and have had really successful and wonderful careers. And I wanted to just ask you each, you know, what advice can you give to someone about their job that maybe hasn't gone where they're, where they want to so far or they're not sure what to do next? Like, what is your, I guess, what is your sort of your personal philosophy that, that helped you get where you are today? So, Julie? Well, I mean, I think <laughs> if you don't like your job, you should change it. You know, your, your life is too short to stay in something that you, that you hate and that you're not getting personal satisfaction from. Um, it's very easy to get bogged down and stressed out, and, but you have to have a, an inherent love for what you do at the end of the day. So, um, you know, I think if I can't discourage someone from entering the business in the beginning, um, <laughs> I would advise them when they're in it to at least do the things about it that you love and, um, and, and try to focus on the things you really like to do and that you're good at rather than the things you hate. So, I don't know, life's too short. <laughs> you have to love advertising to be in advertising. Yes. That, no, that's excellent advice. What about you, Jeremy? Any big words of wisdom? Yeah, I mean, it's in, for me, it's about passion. Um, and, you know, I, I love the – I'm very fortunate to be at TBWA, obviously, because we produce advertising that, you know, is unique. And, you know, obviously we're always trying to, you know, shoot for a home run. Um, you know, our chairman, Lee, always says, you know, we're in an industry that's intrusive by nature. You know, we're interrupting people's lives, and, you know, it's it's – in, we're creating something that more more instances is not like. So if we're going to do this, let's do something that doesn't suck. Um, and it's sort of nice to have a leader that believes in that because it focuses where I want my passion to be mm-hmm. um, and allows me to say no, which is an important part of this job because there's a lot of things inside an advertising agency that you can get sucked into yeah. that distract from the focus of what we do. And it's really about you know reputation management, working with clients, and helping that work be as successful as it can be. Um, and, you know, as long as I understand those priorities and I'm able to do it, that's great. Um, and I'm very fortunate. It's, you know, I, you know, I know a lot of people who don't love and have a passion for what they do. Um, you know, when you get to touch work that really influences culture and feeling that buzz and watching something take off to be part of that is, is unbelievable. Um, yeah. And it, I'm, I feel very fortunate to have a career that can do that. Well, I'm, I'm glad you guys are both so happy. <laughs> thank you. I want to thank you both, Julie and Jeremy, for joining me today. I had a good time. I hope you'll come back again. Yes, thanks, Katie. Anytime. 
Okay, bye-bye. All right, thanks, Jeremy. Bye. And I want to thank everybody for listening. That's all we have time for today. But uh, please join me Tuesdays at 2 o'clock at the intersection of advertising and PR for The Hook. Thank you, and have a fantastic day. Just a little bit about the hook. The hook. The hook. What I hope to do with the hook is to give you the chance to hear what my friends and colleagues are thinking about doing and doing and doing. People in the marketing, PR, advertising industries right on the forefront and including people that cover these industries. So what I'd like to do is what I'd like to do is what I'd like to do is help you make your job easier. What I'd like to do is what I'd like to do is what I'd like to do is join me each week to two o'clock two o'clock on Tuesdays Tuesday. Intersection of advertising and PR. Right here, 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 right here,